Candida auris uh, is a fungus. Um, and what's concerning uh, CDC officials and experts is uh, there is a uh, multi-drug resistant um, strain of Candida auris that is uh, really picking up in their surveillance programs. Hello and welcome back to this week's edition of EMS One Stop. I'm your regular host, Rob Lawrence, and I'm now welcoming back a regular guest. Uh, He's been on before. He's a friend of the show. And welcome, Dr. Alex Isakoff. Hey, Rob. Good to see you and hear you always. Yeah. So uh, for those that uh, haven't met or seen or heard of uh, Dr. Isakoff before, I'd be very surprised if you haven't heard of Dr. Isakoff, Isakoff before. He's the Executive Director and Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Emory School of Medicine and the EMS Lead for NETEC, the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Centre, NETEC. So first of all, welcome, Alex. And just for those that uh, probably don't remember from the last conversation we had, what's NETEC? NETEC, uh, Rob, uh, funded by the Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response and the CDC, NETEC is the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Center. And so what is its role in the grand scheme of uh, infection, injury, illness prevention for the nation? Yeah, so so NETEC is uh, very much involved in um, disseminating education and training, developing readiness metrics uh, for the healthcare community and its ability to manage high-consequence infectious diseases. Uh, the, uh, the group that I lead is the EMS group, um, but there are work groups that are focused on um, frontline healthcare uh, personnel in hospitals and other locations um, and provide education and training with regards to appropriate PPE ensembles, appropriate infection prevention and control measures, implementation of a hierarchy of controls, uh, waste management, laboratory assessment, you name it, they've got it, Rob. Good, and uh, which means you have access to a lot of information, a lot of intelligence, and, of course, you can hopefully forecast, forewarn, and prepare us all for whatever's coming down the pike next, right? Well, you know, Rob, I, I, think, I think the group at NETEC uh, takes an interest, obviously, in high-consequence infectious diseases, uh, monitors uh, outbreaks really throughout the globe, Uh, Many of these outbreaks are not a direct threat to uh, the population in the United States, but it's good to be uh, aware of it um, and to take some measures to be ready uh, in case we have a traveler returning or coming from some part of the world where there is a high-consequence infectious disease outbreak, um, which they have uh, had contact with, contracted, and then are carrying into the U.S., uh, it's good for EMS and frontline healthcare providers to be uh, ready to manage it. We've seen a lot of things emerge of late, and uh, I'm going to throw probably a few Latin names at you, and you can hopefully help us translate, understand, and work out what it is, what's causing it, transmission, transmission reduction, etc. And so top of my list this time around, Alex, is Candida auris. We're seeing that happening in hospitals, but uh, what is it? And give us the backstory, please. Yeah, sure. So um, Candida auris uh, is a fungus. 
Um, and what's concerning uh, CDC uh, officials and experts is uh, there is a uh, multi-drug resistant um, strain of Candida auris that is uh, really picking up in their surveillance programs. So for the EMS community, uh, this is really of concern only if you know you've, you're going to transport a patient uh, with Candida auris. There's no way you would know that without getting some alert um, from hospital personnel on an interfacility transfer. And, um, and I think it's also important to note that while no one wants to be exposed to a uh, multi-drug resistant candida aurus, um, it's really the uh, immunocompromised uh, patient that's going to be likely most affected by it. So that means elderly patients or patients that are uh, getting chemotherapy and have some immunosuppression uh, as a consequence of that, um, or uh, people that are taking immunosuppressant drugs for autoimmune disorder, something else, they're the ones really at greatest risk. As far as EMS taking precautions uh, to protect themselves in transporting a patient with candida auris, uh, I think it's most important for them to just remember what they understand about standard precautions and contact precautions, um, which is the appropriate, um, this would lead to the appropriate kind of personal protective equipment, gown and gloves, and then a mask or eye protection if you expect you're going to get splashed by uh, bodily fluids in, in caring for or managing a uh, patient. I think another thing, if you know you're transporting a patient uh, to be uh, who's known to be infected with candida, candida auris, it's good to uh, have, um, in addition to the routine uh, cleaning and disinfection of the ambulance that you might do after any call, is to do um, a dedicated cleaning and disinfection with one of the EPA-approved um, hospital-grade disinfectants um, and this is actually a good introduction to the fact that the EPA has lists of disinfectants that have claims against particular pathogens like candida auris. This is the EPA P as in PAPA list um, and uh, using a disinfectant that's on that list and in accordance with the instructions, meaning giving the appropriate contact time on surfaces is, uh, is a good way to ensure that... Uh, you've done a good job with cleaning and disinfection of the ambulance and any durable medical equipment before you, you know, transport your next patient. Alex, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've actually, as part of the show notes, already found that link and we're going to put those in the show notes. So if you're listening, please click into that link because it will talk about the, the, uh, the, the, the various substances that are appropriate and cleared to disinfect. And I, and I only say that, Alex, because when we had you know, well, we have fentanyl and we've had other other outbreaks and other issues. And, and you know, some manufacturers may have then append a claim to their, their equipment to say this is fentanyl proof and then add a dollar extra when it's no different than what it was before. So, you know, we have an approved list. It's actually in the show notes. It's been well researched. It's there for all to see. So please, if you're listening, ladies and gentlemen, use that list because it's there and uh, and, and pay attention to it. Yeah, good, good, good points, Rob. And you know, the other thing I'll say is um, we all know about hand hygiene too. And for um, candida auris, uh, you know, use of gloves is important, but use of uh, alcohol-based hand sanitizer after patient contact is important too. And actually, the the preferred, uh, I guess, uh, means of disinfecting your hands if they're not visibly soiled. If they're visibly soiled, wash with soap and water first. 
Uh, you can always follow then with the alcohol-based hand sanitizer afterwards. But, um, but hand hygiene, probably one of the more important things that we do in preventing the transmission of candida auris from one patient to another um, or to ourselves. Great. And uh, just to remind everybody that we're going to put a lot of uh, show notes in, a lot of references, uh, both from CDC and from NITEC, uh, so you can kind of follow along and refer and draw these documents down to help you in your everyday uh, everyday practice. Uh, moving on, uh, let's get on to, I'm going to pick a category out of the hat here. Let's talk about Marburg, because that also, I think, is emerging. Marburg virus disease is caused by a Marburg virus, which is a viral, uh, causes viral hemorrhagic fever. People um, are maybe more familiar with Ebola virus disease uh, from the press and from the media. Uh, Marburg virus is very similar to, um, to Ebola virus disease. And uh, we've, we see two active outbreaks globally now. Um, one that started in Equatorial Guinea, so that is uh, Central West Africa. Um, they had the first case reported in the uh, middle of February 2023. And uh, recently, there's also a Marburg virus outbreak reported in Tanzania, which is the first time they have a Marburg virus outbreak. And that was reported actually just a couple of weeks ago, March 23rd, 2023. And um, the EMS community probably needs to just be reminded about use of identify, isolate, and inform um, to protect themselves from, um, from a Marburg virus. The risk to the U.S. population for a Marburg virus is very, very low. The likelihood that a traveler would go to Equatorial Guinea or Tanzania, be exposed to somebody ill with Marburg virus disease, contract the illness, travel back to the United States symptom-free, and then develop signs and symptoms here is extremely low. So the likelihood that EMS personnel are going to encounter somebody with Marburg virus disease in the U.S. during routine operations, extremely low. But good to be vigilant about it and identifying that someone might have been exposed and is ill with Marburg virus disease is first understanding their travel history. If someone has ill has a fever, myalgias, GI complaints, and has traveled within the last 21 days to Equatorial Guinea or to Tanzania, then it would raise suspicion um, that, oh, well, possibly you've had contact with somebody um, infected with Marburg virus disease. And then that being a suspected case would require you to take some special measures to protect yourself and others, and certainly inform the public health authorities um, that you have some suspicion about someone traveling from Equatorial Guinea or Tanzania in the last 21 days and presenting to you with some signs and symptoms of illness. Um, and certainly if you're going to transport that patient to an emergency department, you'd want to uh, make the uh, receiving facility aware that you suspected this as well. Um, often, Rob, and you've heard me say this before, often um, it's actually good to have the um, sort of the public access phone number for a state's um, public health epi group available uh, so that you can call and uh, report that you suspect somebody has had a travel history of concern and presenting with signs and symptoms. Um, you'll likely get some guidance about which hospitals in your service area is most capable of managing a patient that you have concerns about this. Um, and, uh, and in some uh, jurisdictions, there may be specialty teams available to transport those patients. 
I think a couple of things, actually. First of all, you mentioned geography and you mentioned travel. Um, if you're listening to this podcast the week it comes out, this week in April is also National Public Safety Telecommunicator Week. So uh, on behalf of both Alex and I, we'd like to pay homage to our heroes in headsets. But also this talk about uh, emerging and infectious disease is not just for you guys on the truck. Actually, there is a role that the telecommunicator plays in receiving a call if it comes in in a 911 environment. There, are, of course, are, if you're using medical priority dispatch systems, cards and uh, scripting, etc., advice that talks about identifying the, the, the geographic nature of previous travel, perhaps. And we, we need to give them a mention and actually re- make them realize that, you know, you guys are a part of this, too. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, uh, Rob. And um, I think that you know, s- screening uh, for patients' travel, uh, whether that's done by the emergency medical dispatch or call taker or by the frontline personnel is really valuable. It's important. Um, you may identify someone who has some travel history of concern and present with signs and symptoms of illness. But you may also, Rob, uh, just uh, come upon somebody who has traveled overseas, not to one of these countries that actually have a viral hemorrhagic fever outbreak, but maybe a place that's uh, more prone to contracting malaria. And, um, and being able to uh, make that travel history or provide that travel history to a receiving clinician is really valuable too, so that they can do their job better and, uh, and not miss a critical part of somebody's um, history that could uh, you know, lead to how they would be assessed and managed. Right. So I think a takeaway for me is that travel history also becomes part of medical history. And so we need to understand that for, for any condition that, that may be presenting that we perhaps are unfamiliar with or, or, or may come from a suspicious country. Um, I told you, Alex, that when we got on this podcast, we'll just chat and time will fly. Uh, so it's time for us just to take a break and have a message from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. Welcome back. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Apple Podcast, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Amazon Music. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on the platform that you're listening to us on. I'm here with uh, Dr. Alex Isakoff, a uh, returning guest to the show, and my go-to doc, when we need to talk about uh, emerging special pathogens, training and education. Of course, that's almost tech, isn't it? Let's uh, carry on, Alex, and I'm going to throw another one at you. Um, Ebola is over, is it, or not? What's the story? Well, you know, Rob, uh, yeah, right now there's no uh, active Ebola virus disease outbreaks uh, in the world. So that is, that's great news. Um, Now, you know, all of us would fully expect that uh, we'll hear about another Ebola outbreak uh, at some point. It's uh, almost inevitable as uh, humans come in contact with animals that are the uh, natural reservoir for that disease that we'll see another Ebola outbreak. You and I talked about Marburg virus disease, very similar to Ebola virus disease. And so it's as far as viral hemorrhagic fever uh 
outbreaks go um, of interest to our community, it's the Marburg virus outbreaks in Equatorial Guinea and Tanzania that um, that we're most interested and focused on. Things that have passed, just I, I have to mention um, the C word here. Of course, we talk about back in the pandemic when it was uh, when it was high and we were in trouble. COVID, uh, we seem to have forgotten all about it. Well, I think uh, I think you know, for for most of us that are healthy. Um, we are increasingly comfortable with where we are with uh, COVID-19. If you were immunocompromised, if you were aging, um, and I'm aging, uh, you might still have some concern. You know, Rob, I think, uh, I think it's still important to, uh, to be aware of COVID-19 uh, in the community. Thankfully, at this time, you know, April 7th, when we're recording, um, in the vast majority of jurisdictions in the U.S., COVID-19 transmission is low, but I still recommend, um, as do the public health experts, to stay up to date on your COVID-19 uh, boosters, as recommended by CDC. And, um, and if you develop COVID-19 or you've been exposed to somebody with COVID-19, then to follow the um, guidance that CDC has uh, to isolate yourself and prevent you from transmitting it to someone who might not tolerate it as well as you. Again, elderly people and the immunocompromised. Okay, so the answer is it's not gone and we shouldn't forget it. So uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. So I'm still going down my list. I've still got a list to keep going at you. So uh, uh, H5N1 or any of the HNs, avian influenza. Yeah, that's a great one. I'm glad you picked that one, Rob. Um, I mean, if you, you can't not be watching the news or reading in you know a newspaper and and and, and uh, not get an occasional story about a highly pathogenic avian influenza so avian meaning it's a bird flu highly pathogenic means it makes birds really sick and uh, you'll see um, a lot of reports about um, you know flocks of birds being affected by this h5n1 um, strain of highly pathogenic uh, avian influenza, and it can be pretty devastating for uh, domesticated bird flocks. Uh, it's also affected um, you know, wild uh, birds. And, and this is where it gets kind of interesting, Rob, because uh, there are also a number of uh, mammal species that have been affected or infected with uh, this highly pathogenic avian influenza, H5N1. Um, in North America, South America, and the globe. And so uh, the question, knowing that we're mammals, Rob, the question is, well, what are the human population? And um, the, the good news, the good news is in, in the current, this current strain of uh, H5N1 that's circulating, making lots of birds sick and affecting some mammals, mostly mammals that are predatory animals and probably, um, you know, take down an infected bird, um, uh, for humans, uh, there are very few, very few cases uh, reported in humans of this particular strain. In fact, I think there's only one, been one reported human case in the United States, April of 2022, um, and, uh, and that's not even 100% confirmed, and the person that contracted the illness um, survived. Uh, so that was good news. There have been other parts of the world where this strain has impacted a small number of humans and they have resulted in deaths in that case. Um, I think this is something 
of interest and something we should keep an, uh, an eye on, and, and certainly the public health authorities at CDC and WHO are keeping an eye on it. Right now, the risk to the general U.S. population um, for, uh, from H5N1 as it relates to our own health, the risk to the U.S. population is very low. Um, but, uh, but if you were to encounter um, an individual, a person who would have contracted uh, H5N1 or highly pathogenic avian influenza or charged with transporting a patient that's suspected of having that illness, um, you might take some reassurance and understanding that human-to-human transmission of H5N1 has uh, hardly ever been reported. So the likelihood of human-to-human transmission is very, very low. But, you know, EMS personnel also would know how to implement the right hierarchy of controls and um, standard and transmission-based precautions. Um, And because it's a novel influenza strain, we would do more than what we would typically do for seasonal flu. For seasonal flu, it's standard precautions plus droplet precautions. So that largely means, you know, wearing a surgical mask as a provider and putting a surgical mask on a patient. Um, for a, uh, a human infected with H5N1, if we were to transport them, the recommendation would be stand, be similar to what you saw for, for COVID, Rob, um, standard plus contact plus um, airborne plus eye protection. Um, but uh, more something to watch with curiosity and interest than it is a risk to our uh, EMS personnel today. I have to tell you, I have an H5N1 twitch uh, because before I came to the US uh, 15 years ago, I was the chief of the area of the east of England that had it full on, full blown. Um, If you're listening in the UK, and I know we have some UK friends listen, uh, the famous turkey manufacturer, Bernard Matthews, or to use his American name, Bernard Matthews, um, produced tens of thousands of turkeys and they all went down with it and there was uh, you know a mass extermination i watch that one very very closely but you mentioned flu obviously flu hasn't gone away um we often talk about the efficacy of this year's uh, you know flu vaccine so what's what's the the 2023 flu situation yeah i think i think we're in the tail tail end of the epidemic uh, curve for seasonal flu this year which is good um we didn't, you know, Rob, the last time we talked, we might have been talking about, you know, RSV infections, especially among pediatric uh, population and the significant impact that, that we observed um, earlier in our flu season uh, among kids contracting um, respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, different than the flu, um, we had concerns at the time that we may have a twin-demic or triple-demic, meaning a big uh, rise in COVID-19 cases accompanied by a large rise in seasonal influenza, you know, compounded by this RSV outbreak. And thankfully, we, in, generally speaking, in the U.S., we didn't see that. And so I think we weathered uh, the seasonal flu this year quite well. And um, the... Uh, the vaccine, which I always recommend, and I also got myself, um, was uh, probably as effective this year as it has been in better years for you know, controlling seasonal influenza. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you just ended with the word vaccine there, because something I thought I wouldn't see again, but I'm starting to read about polio. Uh, you know, that's, uh, I'll tell you, if, if you want to talk about polio, I'll, I, I will get one of my... Um, uh, 
close friends and colleagues who spent a good part of his professional career uh, combating polio and knows everything about you know, polio vaccine. Um, uh, and he'll do a much better job than I will, Rob, talking to you about polio. But, uh, you know, this is a, this is a, uh, a vaccine-preventable disease. Um, it's a vaccine uh, which uh, is widely available uh, in the United States and, and uh, around the world. And uh, we just need to do public, we need to work with public health to make sure that everyone that's um, eligible for polio vaccine, uh, which is most anyone that could access it, gets it. Okay, simple takeaway there is uh, it's preventable. Let's please prevent it by getting the vaccine and the vaccination. Uh, so we, we, we're sort of getting to the extreme peripheries of uh, emerging uh, pathogens, but uh, Nipah virus, what's all that about? Yeah, so this is another uh, special pathogen that uh, CDC uh, tracks. Uh, in the United States, you wouldn't find Nipah virus, um, uh, except in a biocontainment laboratory. Uh, it's uh, something that's been reported in recently in, in Bangladesh, um, and uh, you will see outbreaks in humans that come in contact with the uh, reservoir animal. Um, and, uh, and you can see human-to-human transmission of Nipah virus also, typically transmitted uh, through direct contact with, um, with saliva or, or uh, other uh, uh, infectious bodily fluids, uh, urine as well. And, uh, and again, can be spread person to person if you have uh, contact with infectious uh, bodily fluids. Um, the, some months ago, there was, a, uh, there was a lot of attention on um, Nipah virus, human to human transmission in, in Bangladesh. Um, and uh, something worth, you know, again, uh, ke- keeping an eye on. It's, Preventable, certainly we can implement our uh, standard and transmission-based precautions to prevent uh, exposure to infectious bodily fluids if we ever had need to care for a uh, patient that was infected with Nipah virus. But no Nipah virus cases in the U.S. Um, and, uh, and the most recent outbreak of interest uh, in Bangladesh. Excellent. It's just good to know that it's good to know that it's out there, or it's bad to know that it's out there, but it's good to know about it. Um, I'm going to end, change my usual ending question to a public health version of this. So, is there any infection uh, I've forgotten to ask you about, or any infection you haven't told me about? No, you, you hit the high points, Rob. Uh, you know, as I expected that you, that you would, you did your homework and uh, and you came up with with a number of pathogens that uh, have been in the news and maybe raising some. Um, concern for uh, people on the front lines of healthcare, like our uh, colleagues in EMS and elsewhere. So, uh, no, I think I think you nailed it. Excellent. Well, I always love having you on as a guest, Alex, and I keep trying to bend your arm. We should do this more often uh, because of obviously you are a font of knowledge and a subject matter expert like no other. But in the meantime, how can we follow uh, you and also uh, Neetech and those other great sites? Yeah, I think the, I think the best way to to follow um, this this evolving uh, you know evolving information around um, special pathogens is to go to www.netech.org. Uh, you will find um, references there about um, global outbreaks. Uh, and there'll be guidance that uh, uh, me and a few colleagues 
develop and or review that's aimed specifically at the EMS community. And we're always working to try and uh, better highlight the resources on that uh, website, uh, which has, as you'd expect, multiple layers, uh, addressing um, multiple uh, communities um, uh, in, in healthcare uh, to, to highlight what's available for the EMS community. Because as you know, Rob, the EMS community is near and dear to my heart as an emergency medicine doc and an EMS physician and serving as a medical director here in Georgia and uh, having the opportunity to lead the NETEC EMS work group. Um, of course, I, I think it's important to get this information out to all frontline healthcare personnel, but uh, job one for me is making sure that we have this information in emergency medical services. So www.netech.org. You heard the good doc there. Um, if I was to summarize today, obviously pay attention to what's emerging and what's present out there. Universal precautions always. We should be doing it anyway, but please pay attention to that. Remember medical history plus travel history if you think there's something uh, something suspicious and obviously pass on to your local epidemiologist slash public health department. So those are my immediate takeaways. Um, don't forget, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at UKRobL1 or find me on LinkedIn. Uh, we're going to stack the uh, the show notes with all of the references we've been talking about. Uh, please make sure you uh, digest them, understand them, pass them on, incorporate them into your clinical protocols. I know you've done that already, but make sure you're doing that. Um, so for the moment, and I say for the moment, Alex, because you're coming back, like it or not, thank you very much. Hey, Rob, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You're great, and your audience is too, and I uh, love being on with you. Wonderful. Well, that was this week's edition of uh, EMS One Stop. If you're listening to it live, once again, EMS uh, Public Safety Telecommunicator. Thank you all, heroes in headsets. That's all for now. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>